are Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. We are back here on the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, writer, editor, LeBron Wire, part of the USA Today NBA Wire sites, former Blazer beat writer at the Vancouver Columbian, and your host here on Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am back from Las Vegas and the NBA Summer League. I did not take any of my recording equipment because I love myself and um, I just there was no way I was going to bring my recording stuff. I was in Vegas. I was there partially for work, partially to hang out with some of my friends who were going to the UFC fight, uh, which was fun. I won some money. Uh, first time betting on sports in Vegas. Uh, won some money on Daniel Cormier winning uh, the, the heavyweight match in the UFC 226. And uh, Friday night is when I got in. Uh, got in just in time to catch the Denver Nuggets summer league team uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, and when I was there, I was able to. I, I saw Will Barton, who was there watching his team. Uh, I was there when uh, Yusuf Nurkic signed his extension, or at least the, the news was reported, and got to see some of the reaction from some of the executives in the league when I was there. And then I also, you know, talked to some other NBA people because that's what you do, and you know, talking, trying to figure out what's going on with Dame. Uh, trying to figure out what's going on with the Blazers, uh, what people think about the Nurkic contract, what people think about the moves that they made. And it's uh, pretty much, you know, a lot of the stuff that you may have heard, you know, Damian Lillard talked to the media uh, the other day uh, in Vegas and, and talked about how he's not unhappy, that he loves where he lives, but... Um, you know, there were some other things in there that if you want to look at could be perceived as slights. You know, everybody in the West is getting better. We need to do the same thing. Uh, I mean, y- y- you can read between the lines. And, and that's frankly been Dame's stance now for two off seasons where Dame has seen the landscape of the Western Conference and has publicly said, we need to get better too, which is, you know, a passive aggressive way of saying we're not better. And, I mean, this is kind of Dame's only way to apply any pressure to the front office. You know, Dame is taking this publicly. And, uh, you know, as I said the other day, I I knew that Dame was not going to like the Ed Davis thing. He said that as much. But uh, it is a different thing between not liking a certain move and missing a guy. Uh, after, you know, and this being like his third guy now, Dame's like third best friend on the team getting getting let go. So obviously it's not like they're asking him like, hey, you like this guy. It's not like the Brandon Roy era where, you know, they would always have guys that, that Roy liked around. And, and, and part of that is because of the financial situation that the Blazers are in that they screwed themselves in 2016 that they have to make these tough decisions like letting Ed Davis go. And... Dame may not be seeing it through that prism. I think he's seeing it through, I'm a star player. I was first team All-NBA, and we just got swept in the first round. And 
So, you know, I, I, I do think that Dame is absolutely right to, to be upset about some things. And he, he he's was upset about the Ed Davis thing. That doesn't mean he wants a trade. That doesn't mean he's going to the Lakers this summer to join LeBron for Lonzo Ball. But I will say this, and um, I think it's important to note that he's not going to be happy forever. He's not going to be not unhappy forever. And there were a lot of things that have been done over the past four years, four years or so, that Dame has been upset about. Uh, losing Bill Barton, you know, that was one thing. Chris Haynes reported that uh, back in the winter. Um, you know, losing Ed Davis, obviously a huge thing. Uh, th- that is something that he wanted. Uh, another guy that he wanted to come back was Mo Williams. Um, Tim Frazier, another one of his best friends. He got traded. So I don't think that keeping Dame's friends on the team is necessarily the priority. I think priority is winning games. But it's a hard sell um, for Neil O'Shea to make. And he you know he, he will make it. He 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 has been making it. But it is uh I, I wouldn't say that this year is the problem or that Dame is gonna demand a trade in midseason or whatever. But the longer it goes without you know truly tangible things that he approves of, you know that's going to start the clock is going to start ticking eventually. Um, and you know he's, he's three years left on his contract. Neil Olshay talked about that at the the introductory press conferences for Seth Curry and, and Nick Stauskas uh, before the team went to Vegas, and and that's great. But you don't want to push a guy who is a star player, openly embraces where he lives and the city he lives in, has probably put Portland on the map more than any other star the Blazers have ever had in terms of publicity, in terms of market share. Uh, you know, Dame is, is everywhere. Anytime there's an NBA thing, Dame is there repping the Blazers, repping Portland, and it's not every day. I mean, we, we just experienced it with LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge, not a huge fan of Portland. Played here, spent here nine years. This wasn't his home. This wasn't the place that he embraced as his home. You know, he was a Texas guy through and through. You know, luckily, Damian came here. He's from the Bay Area. There are a lot of similarities between the Bay Area and Portland and the West Coast in general. But the longer they go and they keep kind of messing around with his prime, the more likely it becomes that the scenarios that have been bandied about by by Lakers fans and, and Stephen A. Smith about a potential trade to a to another team with a bigger market or what have you, the longer this goes on, the more that becomes a possibility. And I'm not saying that he's going to get traded. I'm not saying he's demanding a trade. But what I am saying is that we've got to be careful. And and you know the maybe the the moves that Olshay made this summer they work out. The the Blazers add more shooting. They add more rebounding. Uh, they're more versatile. And maybe that 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 works out. Uh, maybe that is is what gets Dame convinced. But 
you know, it, that might not just be it. And you, know, you look at the rest of the West and you see the Warriors adding DeMarcus Cousins and you see the Lakers adding LeBron James and you see the Oklahoma City Thunder trading for Paul George and managing to keep him. You, you see the Wolves trading for Jimmy Butler last year. You see all these teams in the West getting star players in trades. And Portland, while they do have a star in C.J. McCollum, they're not getting that other star. They're not getting that third guy that really, truly can take you to the top in the Western Conference. I mean, we've seen it now for years. Unless you have LeBron James on your team, you need three star caliber players at least to be, very, to, to be a contending team. And... I, I, I think that's what we've learned now in, in this era of NBA basketball. You've got to have at least three. Portland has two. And the longer they go, and this is just my read on it from talking to people around the team, talking to people around the league when I was down at Summer League, and people who, who know Dame a little bit, you know, they've got to be careful. They, they can't – because they are starting to test his patience. And, and that – is a step from where we have been throughout the, the previous six years of Dame's career. That Dame has always been the guy, has always been down for the company. He's been the company man, supporting everything along the way. But at some point, he's going to have he's he's going to hit. Uh, there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back if if, if things fail to materialize if one of these guys that the Blazers have doesn't turn into a you know a really dynamic player if, if these guys if they can't swing a trade with some of these pieces you know uh for for a, a, an upgrade you know those are the type of things that are going to test Dame's patience and uh this is a different era uh, of the Damian Lillard era and I think it's uh the spotlight is even brighter now on, on Neil Olshay and also on Damian Lillard because, you know, with his the way he's the, his posturing, um, people are going to expect a big season because people are going to say, hey, you know, you're asking for all this help, but you know where? So you know this is Dame knows this too. You know he's putting more pressure on himself by doing this, but he's ready for it. And I think he is ready to play ball, and he's playing ball right now publicly as best as he can to, to apply pressure. And uh, you know we'll see what happens with it. But uh, I, I definitely do think that this is a different situation with Damian Lillard than we've had in the past. Uh, not necessarily a bad situation, but it is different. Uh, so... Uh, we're going to take a quick break here in a second. We're going to talk about some of the other Blazers moves and what I saw uh, in the couple of games that I saw down in Vegas at Summer League uh, when we come back. And we're back for Summer League and transaction talk after we talk about the Damian Lillard situation or, or you know lack thereof, I suppose. Well, it's not a lack thereof. There is a situation with Damian Lillard. This, that is the situation. I that I so go back and listen to that segment if you want to learn about uh, my read and, and my uh, what I've learned about uh, the Damian Lillard situation in Portland. But Portland made some moves that we we've yet to talk about. Uh, Seth Curry, uh, a move that uh, the Blazers made the other day, and Yusuf Nurkic. The big one, four forty-eight, four for forty-eight million dollars, four years. Uh, the reaction when I was inside at Summer League and saw that go down, you know, it was kind of Nurk got his money, 
and people didn't really you know think much of it. It wasn't this mind blowing thing. It's a pretty normal salary at four forty eight. It's it's not uh, exorbitant and. It's a little bit more than I think what I expected Nurkic to get just because of how depressed the market was. But uh, Portland gets a big body that they need, a center that can change the game defensively, that has proven that he can cover up mistakes from the rest of the team. Excellent rim protector, um, you know, so-so offensive player, and and that could be the, the spot where he improves. But... Uh, they, they keep him, so that means that he's presumably going to be the starter for the foreseeable future. But, uh, you know, I, I think Zach Collins's potential emergence down the line could be something to watch out for. And I think Collins last year showed that he could play a little bit of power forward when paired with Ed Davis. Maybe uh, Collins and Nurkic could be a combination that we see more of. Uh, and Nurkic is obviously going to be the starting center. And then... I think what I saw at Summer League kind of solidified for me one of the suspicions that I had that Caleb Swanigan is really going to step into a bigger role next year as a guy that can be an offensive rebounder. He's lost even more weight. He's looking even tighter, more jacked, uh, and, and he's looking quicker. And you know, th- this was going to be you know he's he's been changing his body for years, and so uh, Swanigan looking in even better shape than he looked during the season last year and if he can maintain that and and you know really be a backup center for portland or you know if myers leonard's work this summer pays off uh, down in la with drew hanlon myers is playing you know one-on-one with joel Embiid every day basically so you know that has to help something um and i i've heard he's looked good in the workouts but you know Embiid is is amazing uh but you know, so so there's going to be people that replace Ed Davis on the court in terms of function. They don't really have anybody on the team that replaces Ed Davis in terms of a personality, in terms of a locker room guy. Uh, some of the encouraging things, though, that I've seen from summer league is the Blazers summer league team. I mean, they are very good that, and that's that's awesome. Uh, but the guys that are going to be on the roster have been really encouraging to see. I've really liked what I've seen from Caleb Swanigan. As I said, lost weight, looks quicker, uh, doing even more things with, with the ball on the court. He's taking rebounds, and he's leading the break. He's initiating the offense as the center on the court. And his arms, his long arms, he muscles guys around and you know may not be having the most efficient games, but is just – he looks like he can do the job that is going to be needed of him to potentially replace Ed Davis. And, you know, his jumper is good. He can shoot. And that is is one of the biggest things. And that's one of the things that Neil Olshay, you know, for everything that, you know, you might think of him, is he said that they needed more shooting, that they were kind of exposed. And they didn't have enough, you know, guys that can really shoot the ball across the board. And, you know, Ed Davis wasn't a shooter. Nurkic isn't a shooter. Evan Turner, not really a shooter. And so Swanigan, if you replace the Ed Davis minutes with Swanigan minutes, then you've added three-point shooting at the four and the five. We've seen Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan work together a lot in the summer league as the starting front court. Uh, Collins didn't play the other night because of an ankle injury, but 
when those two guys work well together, uh, those guys really do work well together, and I think they, they know where to be, and I think that could be a potential off-the-bench 4-5 combination for the Blazers if they want to go to it. Um, and it's always going to be matchup-based in, in the NBA these days. Everything is going to be dictated towards the, the opponent, especially with those rotations, whether it be Myers or, or Swanigan or, or Collins. But at least with those three guys, you have three guys that – can come in, play center, and space the floor. And that's big for Evan Turner, which is, you know, he is kind of going to run the second unit, it sounds like, uh, instead of C.J. McCollum. And C.J. can shoot, and he can kind of space the floor out there for Turner. But if you throw out Swanigan out there at center, you've got Collins at power forward, and you go with Seth Curry or something at the two and you go CJ, Curry, Turner, Collins, and Swanigan, you know, you've got four shooters around Turner to, that he can kind of work with. So uh, you know, I see the calculus there a little bit. Um, and watching them in Summer League, it makes me a little bit more, uh, gives me a little bit more faith that Swanigan especially can, can step into a bigger role next season because he didn't really play much after the first month or so when he got some time. And, uh, you know, we, we all understood why, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't quick enough out there to play power forward alongside Nurk. I think that was kind of the only opening he had for minutes because of Nurkic, because of Ed Davis. And that didn't always work out. And so, uh, I think he he's he's taken it upon himself to lose weight to to get in better shape and uh, to to really improve and I, I think that's exactly what he's done so I'm really excited for Caleb Swanigan next season uh, I like the shape that he's in it's encouraging to see him out there and uh, helping lead the Blazers to winning you know I know it's summer league but but it, it winning matters and the fact that the Blazers have been winning basically every game with Swanigan out there and the, another guy who I think is going to play next year uh, is Gary Trent Jr who scored 20 the other day and can really do a lot with the ball and could just be another Duke guy Kentucky guy that doesn't you know that that blossoms after he leaves one of those college super teams because all those schools load up on recruits and there's only one ball. There's only so many stats that can be, you know, spread around an entire team. And Gary Trent Jr., while he came into the league hyped as a shooter and and scouted as a shooter, I've been really impressed with the stuff that he's done off the dribble in the pick and roll. He he makes plays and and knows how to get to his shot and he's not just a spot-up guy, which I think in this day and age in the NBA, it's not just shooting. You've got to be able to shoot and make decisions and pass the ball and create for yourself and defend. And you got to be able to do everything. And I think Trent uh, does a lot more than I thought he would do. And that's encouraging to see. And 
it's pretty clear. I don't know if you know the Blazers. If from all from what I've heard, you know they're done making moves. So unfortunately, goodbye Pat Connaughton, goodbye Shabazz Napier, uh, because Gary Trent Jr. is going to come in and shoot. And he has the size to kind of replace Connaughton. Uh, you brought in other shooters like Seth Curry, Nick Stauskas, and then the other guy that has been leading the Blazers team and been one of the best players in the Summer League that is going to replace Shabazz Napier, most likely, is Wade Baldwin. I, Baldwin has been fantastic. I think he's uh, definitely a candidate to replace Napier. He'll be cheaper. He'll, you know, as ruthless as that is, after such a great year that Shabazz had, for the Blazers and also kind of became a fan favorite here in Portland. It, it sucks that, that he has to go, but that's the business, that's the league, and uh, I think either with Baldwin or with Curry, uh, yeah, they're gonna or and even more Evan Turner handling. There's not a lot of room for Shabazz, especially if the team is healthy. And I think Wade Baldwin can kind of step in as the emergency third point guard. Uh, if needed, and he's been great defensively. He's been dunking on people. Uh, he's been very solid, and I think you know he's one of those guys that they have that that is deemed what they call the second draft, where a guy who was a good you know top lottery pick or is very or you know was a first rounder, and he doesn't work out with the team that he's on. In Baldwin's case, it was Memphis. Then another team takes a flyer on him. And it kind of works out. Uh, Mo Harkless, another example of the second draft, uh, because Orlando just gave him away, and then Portland kind of built him up, and then they signed him, and and, and he became kind of an, he became an important player for them. And then uh, the last guy that I've seen that is going to be on the Blazers roster for sure that I have been impressed with has been Anthony Simons, uh, the Blazers' first round pick, uh, and I was a little skeptical, frankly, of the pick because. After a few weeks of Neil O'Shea saying that the Blazers needed to improve their, you know, needed to add more veterans and more playoff-ready players, adding the youngest player in the draft did not seem counterintuitive to me. But one of the things that I really liked about Simons that I noticed in the very first game and in, you know, his first moments out there was he knows how to play defense and he knows where to be and he knows the NBA game. And... While he he didn't go to college, you know there is something to be said for just training for the NBA, for for training for that sport. There there are no habits necessarily to break in terms of the college game to the pro game. It, you know if he's at IMG studying film of defensive rotations and how to stunt over to a shooter and then to get back on your man, you know those are things that I saw him doing. And what a stunt means is that if you had to rotate over to the corner, you kind of take a step to one guy so that he hesitates on his shot a little bit and then you kind of rotate over to the next guy while the help comes and Simons can already do that at 19 and it, it you know that's very advanced stuff or at least it was uh for guys of his age but I, I do think that a lot of these younger guys they're they're learning the nuances of the NBA game earlier they're getting more hip to what they have to do to do to get on the floor to get a second contract to to make money and to have longevity in the league and the fact that Simons already knows where to be even though he 
is physically not gonna he's not gonna be there um he's very small definitely needs to mature in that aspect but uh his instincts are very good and he can do things with the ball he, he's very athletic had a nice alley-oop slam off a pass from Caleb Swanigan um and and I've been impressed with the way that Simons has played and I forgot about one guy and I won't I'll make sure to talk about him since I know that some of you will get on me for forgetting him is Jake Lehman uh, Lehman, a guy that I, I, they guaranteed his contract. I, I wasn't so sure about that deal. I was even talking about it at summer league. Well, you know why, you know, especially during that first game. You know, he, he was really struggling. And, you know, man, why, why did they guarantee it? But he's really bounced back. He's been confident, and I think uh, that confidence has also come because he is guaranteed. He doesn't have to fight for a spot, and he can kind of be empowered to do things. And maybe that is. Uh, something that Neil O'Shea and the Blazers have learned from what they went through with Pat Connaughton, where they extended his non-guarantee date until the very end of the summer, basically. And you could see a little bit in summer league that he was a little nervous, and he, he had a bad summer league. But then he got his contract guaranteed and became a fixture in the rotation for the Blazers. So um, maybe by giving confidence to, to Lehman that he's going to be on the team, maybe that has inspired him. He, he's been shooting the ball really well, and uh, he also had an incredible putback slam uh, at the first game that I was at uh, against the Utah Jazz Summer League team. And the Blazers are going to be back on the Summer League court tomorrow uh, where they will face the winner of the Hawks, and I can't remember. It's Summer League. I'm not going to go look at it, but they play somebody tomorrow in the Summer League as they were undefeated and were one of the top seeds. Uh, in the playoff tournament of the Las Vegas Summer League. So we are mostly, we are done with with Blazers talk uh, for the night, but there was some other big news. I think probably the biggest free agent news that came out of the weekend when I was out there was Zach Levine signing an offer sheet with the Chicago Bulls and the Bulls matching on Zach Levine. So... Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to have the guys from Locked On Bulls talking about the Zach Levine signing and what it means for Chicago right after this break. What's up, Locked On NBA fans? This is Jordan Malley and Matt Peck with you here from Locked On Bulls. Just touching on the breaking news of Zach Levine's re-signing with the Bulls after the Sacramento Kings offered him offer sheet of four years, $78 million. This coming over the weekend on Friday nights, the Bulls were quick to match Zach Levine. This has been a conversation that Matt and I have had multiple times, and uh, it's almost a daily occurrence over the last two months over at Locked On Bulls. And so we just wanted to give you guys our quick reaction of what we think of it and maybe what Bulls fans are reacting to it too. So overall, Matt, uh, this was kind of expected. Obviously, the money was a little bit more than we both initially thought, but what did you overall think of this deal and what it does for the Bulls going forward? Yeah, what's up, Locked On NBA Nation? Jordan, I think leading up to this, I was trying to be optimistic that the Bulls and Levine could come to a a team-friendly deal because looking at the market this summer across the league, I didn't see that many teams that had of the small amount of them that had the money to offer Levine close to a max deal or even something as significant as 20 mil per over several seasons 
I just didn't see him getting those offers from anywhere. And the wild card, always the wild card, the Sacramento Kings, who knows what that team, what that front office is doing. I said that was the one hang-up when they were rumored to be one of the teams that would be interested, even though it didn't seem to make a lot of sense for them. Buddy Heald and, and Bogdanovich, two of their better players, play the same position as Levine. I don't, so I don't see why they really gave him that offer. So it's unfortunate that the Bulls were put in the position where they had to match to pay him annually a little bit more than that what they would have liked to pay him. But basically what happened here is that the Bulls used their leverage to say, we're not going to just throw this money at you like it seemed the Magic did with Aaron Gordon. They, they said, if you want to test the waters and go out and get a, a bigger offer sheet than what we think is fair, bring us an offer sheet and we'll probably match it and we want to keep you. So that's what Levine did, and that's what the Bulls did. Logically, it all makes sense. It's just unfortunate that from the Bulls' front office perspective, and I think from largely the fan base's perspective, it's a little bit of an overpay to keep him in town. Look, I get the the conversation about what Zach Levine has done in his first three years, and the production level has clearly haven't hasn't been there. He was inconsistent on his offensive side in the 25 games he played with the Bulls. Uh, but even pre-injury, people talked about his clip at, at 40% from shooting from three and about 45% uh, field goal percentage overall. I look at that and I just say the Bulls were stuck. When they made the Butler trade a year ago, they knew they were going to do this. They knew that they had to do this, that the, his contract talk was going to be coming up and it was probably going to range from 15 to $20 million. Like the Bulls knew that and they played the odds. They told Zach Levine, go out and find out if you can see what offer sheets will get offered to you and what you want to sign and we'll decide from there. Ultimately, I didn't think there was ever really a question whether or not Zach Levine was going to return to the Bulls. And it's it's the same sentiment I had back in February, back in March, when Zach Levine was playing every day or every other day for that matter. But And I get the argument too. Zach Levine ranked 471st out of 521 NBA players last season with a negative 3.30 RPM, a negative 1.16 offensive RPM and a negative 2.14 in defense. So I get that. I get he was one of the least efficient NBA players over the first three years of his his career. I get that he's one of the worst defenders as far as defensive box plus minus goes. I get all of that. But you're also paying for potential here. And the market was weird this year. So I think ultimately, I'm fine with the $19.5 million. And I think it's all going to come down to effort as far as on Zach Levine's side of the, uh, Zach Levine's side of the contract. Yeah, you hope he improves and you hope that the small sample size of him in a Bulls uniform last season turns out to be irrelevant when looking at this contract and looking at the player that he becomes over the course of this contract hopefully it's a player that the Bulls do want to keep around and hopefully by the time that he is 26 or 27 winding down the back end of this contract we're looking back and saying wow that contract actually turned out to be a steal I'm not convinced that that's going to happen but putting yourself in the Bulls front office's shoes, they really didn't have much of a choice here. They they had to match it. It made sense to match it. And now, as you said, you hope that this potential contract turns into a good contract. One last thing, too, to touch on as far as why we feel like this Levine deal isn't as bad as maybe some fans are reacting, and even nationally as the NBA goes. Uh, people were laughing at this deal, saying, of course, the Bulls overpaid. I look at this from this perspective. Yeah, the Bulls have a ton of cap space next season and in 2020. And the Bulls over the last 18 months have been telling us over and over and over again, 2019, 2020, we want to be flexible with the cap. Great. 
my my point was what free agents and what history has told us with bulls with the bulls of recently over the last decade what top free agents have come to chicago none the bulls have missed out on all top free agents coming here 2010 with lebron and d wade and chris bosh and you ended up getting boozer 2014 when they wanted mellow he decided to go back to new york like you talk about all these deals and all these free agents it's great to have the cap space but you also have to have the players to recruit and you have to have the timeline and the history of saying, yeah, I have some trust in the Bulls being able to go out and sign one free agent, one top superstar free agent, two top two superstar free agents. So I look at that and it's like, I don't have that much trust in the Bulls front office to draw. It's a big time free agent, a franchise changing player. So I'd rather take the risk in sure 19.5 million a year for the next four years might seem like a lot right now, but I'd rather weigh risk it on a 23 year old that has before pre-injury had potential superstar ability so we'll see what happens with that but I think that's a point that shouldn't be overblown as far as what Bulls fans feel like and what has happened as far as history goes and tells us over the last decade in free agency yeah well you're also asking a fan base that has a tendency to overblow things to not overblow this thing so (laughs) in in due time hopefully we can look at this contract as not uh, the huge mistake that a significant portion of the fan base thinks it is. For more information on the Bulls, and if you want to stay up to date with our reaction and maybe Bulls fans' reaction, head over to Locked On Bulls. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Once again, Jordan Malley, Matt Peck here from Locked On Bulls.